This show is being brought to you in part by Magic Financing, featuring Mago the Magician. They can help you get auto financing for anything in business for over 32 years. Magic Financing is dedicated to customer satisfaction. If you've got credit issues, they have the answer. No matter what your profile is, they can help. They work with people who have fair, bad, or just terrible credit, repayment history, as well as people who have no money down. That's right, no money down. They're located at 6385 North Federal Boulevard with a great auto inventory. Give them a call at 303-298-1155. That's Magic Financing. Features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturdays till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Good afternoon and welcome to the council. This is 2020. I can't believe it. It's uh, been a while since we've uh, we've been on the air. Uh, welcome everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm your host Charlie Pacello, and boy, do we have a fantastic show for you today. And I just can't wait to get started into it. But first, what we need to do, I want to really thank my my host and sponsor for the show, MagicFinancing.com. Magic Financing, if you need a used car, new car, and you live here in the Denver metro area, they're the guys to go to. Uh, my family has been going to Maurizio and Magic Financing for a very long time. They have always helped us out whenever we needed a vehicle. My brother actually just got a vehicle from them a couple days ago. Uh, they are they're the best in town. If you need help, if you need help financing a car, go to magicfinancing.com. Talk to Maurizio, he'll help you, let them know Charlie sent you, and uh, yeah, they're the, uh, the, they're the best in town. So I want to thank them, and also want you to know that uh, I have a new book out, it's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. You can buy this book on Amazon.com, StoreBookBaby.com, uh, Barnes & Noble, you can get it in ebook and hard copy. Uh, it's a self-help book for the soul. It's one of these books that I think is so relevant today for people to get in touch with these deeper understandings, these deeper truths that exist in all of us, but because of the way our society is structured and the way we're so constantly busy and not allowed to really tap into the deep inner resource, it's a practical, simple, self-help book to help you to tap in some of the deeper truths that come from all these different cultures from all around the world. And it talks about this axial age, this period between 900 B.C. and 200 B.C., which had enormous uh, implications on our spiritual and philosophical, our artistic, our, our literature. Every, it had such a profound implications on all of these aspects of the world that we live in today. And a lot of these teachers that you'll find in this book, uh, they were coming up to the same conclusions without having any contact with each other. And so you'll learn from Lao Tzu, you'll learn from the Buddha, you'll learn from Ezekiel, you'll learn from Socrates and others in this book how to tap into the deep resources in your soul so that you can live a better and healthier and happier life. Uh, we'll be doing some workshops later on this year with this book, so tune in if you live in Colorado or in the, or other places in the country. And we're going to be doing this work, so uh, please, please pick up a copy. It's a great gift, and uh, boy, uh, you know, in the times we live in, we all need to kind of 
tap into our inner resources and say, what is it that we want? What is it that's really meaningful in life? You know, what's really important? We all kind of started off the year very hopeful, a new decade, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have these fires that are going on in Australia. Be horrible bushfires that are devastating the country, killing all kinds of uh, wildlife, um, and, and people losing their homes and some deaths as, as a consequence. And then we almost uh, are on the brink of war. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was watching TV the other day after President Trump had, uh, you know, made the decision to, to, to assassinate and to kill the, uh, Kusam uh, Soleimani. Uh, and he was not a good guy. No, no, there's no question. There's no uh, love lost on that. He killed a lot of American soldiers. But we were still on the precipice of war. And when those missiles were launched, I thought, my goodness, we are, we are here on the brink of something that could be catastrophic. And we, you know, it's important to understand that we've got to stand up to evil. You know, evil is, exists. Evil counts on us denying its existence. And, you know, that's, there's no denying that we've got to stand up to it. But with the kind of weapons that we have and the things that we have in our arsenal, we must eventually become a species that is no longer capable of using these weapons. We've got to be able to see the humanity in all human beings. We've got to get to a place where we recognize this is not the best way to solve our problems. That we all, the people that live in Iran and the people that live here really want the same thing. They want to be able to take care of their families. They want to be able to, their children, their families to be safe. They want to have, uh, good education, good health care, good water and food. And we really need to be able to start trying to see our similarities rather than looking at our differences and trying to destroy one another. And it really is important to understand too that when we excite vengeance in ourselves, revenge, wanting to revenge, you know, all, the, all this stuff about them wanting to seek revenge, vengeance is the predator in us. Vengeance is the actually the darkness inside of us. That's the that's the part in you that in me, in in in, in every human being that has the capacity to do evil, that has the capacity to do harm. And warriors, soldiers, airmen, sailors, marines, coast guard, they're confronted with that. They see it. They've been at the tip of the spear. They understand uh, in ways about life and death that most of us don't understand. And we don't understand the consequences, the cost. What does it really mean to go to war? And yeah, we need to stand up to those things, but we've got to be able to find a better way. And it may not happen in our generation, but hopefully it's going to happen in our children's or our great-grandchildren's generation, where we live in a world where we no longer have to say, oh my gosh, we're going to be threatened by nuclear weapons. No, let's dismantle these things, because we live in a world where all human beings are valued and cherished. And we can find solutions to our problems without having to resort to, to the military. Uh, to, to military conflict. And I hope that's the, wor the world that we're leading towards. And a lot of the decisions and choices we make today are going to, are going to uh, create, are going to uh, lead up to whether or not we live in a, war in a world of fear or a world of love, uh, a world where we're constantly worried about danger or a world where we can live in peace and harmony. And it's really up to us. It's up to us individually. It's up to us to make those decisions. And yes, we've got to stand up to these things, but at the same time, we've got to start making different choices. And one of the things that I think is really important to understand is what does it cost? What is the cost of going to war? What does it cost to the people who actually do, who, who are out there shooting, who are out there on the front lines, who are out there, you know, launching those codes? What is it going on in the inside? 
what is what is happening to them? Um, there was a great quote uh, my guest has written in this book that we're about to talk about that really lays down um, what the truth about war. And it was it was spoken by uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, who was a, a Civil War general uh, who uh, went down and, and laid waste to uh, Georgia during the Civil War. And he says that war is hell. It is only those who have neither fired a shot nor heard the shrieks and groans of the wounded who cry aloud for blood, more vengeance, more desolation. It's the people who haven't seen that, that are crying out for it, that, have, that are saying we need to go out. And it's, we need to listen to our soldiers. We need to listen to the people who have actually been there and who have done it, who have seen the cost and, and, and carry the burdens when they come home. And this book here that I'm holding up is one of the most, uh, my goodness, it's, it's called What They Signed Up For. And this book here, I've, I've had the chance and opportunity to read it. It is a mesmerizing, powerful, insightful book coming from veterans, individual veteran experiences who have uh, heard the call to serve, who went over there and believed in what we were uh, out there to do. And some of them stayed and said what we were doing is just. There was all kinds of uh, you know, graves of, uh, of, of Kurds who had been assassinated and killed by Saddam Hussein, and others who came back and said, you know what, this is a whole different ballgame. This is more about money and oil. So he, the, it gives you a full perspective of the veteran experience in a very, very profound and intimate way. And people, the civilian world needs to understand these stories. They need to hear it from the people who actually fight it. So before we send people to war, we know what we're putting them into. It's not just vengeance. It's not just, you know, sh parading our strength. We got to know what the cost is. We got to know how it impacts the people who we actually send. And so I want to introduce to you my very esteemed guest. I, 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 I'm so thrilled that he has taken the time out of his very busy day to join us on the show today. Um, his name is Jeb Wyman, and he has taught for 25 years at Seattle Central College. Reading stories written by student veterans in these classes inspired him to collect stories from veterans around the state. And his interviews with over 70 veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan became a collection of stories called What They Signed Up For, True Stories by Ordinary Soldiers. He is a continuing member of the Humanities Washington Speaker Bureau, presenting lectures titled How the Humanities Help Veterans Find Meaning After War from 2018 to 2019, and Sometimes Heroes, America's Changing Relationship with Its Veterans from 2019 to 2020. He is a past academic director of the Clemente Veterans Initiative, a program for veterans who study history, philosophy, art, and literature. Jeb lives in Seattle, and the website uh, for this book and for veterans and uh, families of veterans out there is what they signed up for, www.whatthesignedupfor.org. Jeb, welcome to the show. Charlie, thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I mean, the, the, this book is amazing. And you know, I, I spent, oh my gosh, the last uh, couple of weeks reading it and pausing and, and reflecting on, on, on the experiences, the individual experiences that each person had 
of the universal experience of war and what it means to go to war. And it touched my heart, and, and I, I was moved to tears, and sometimes it made me angry, and, and sometimes it, it just, it, it, re it really hit home how powerful it is to hear the stories of people who've been there, taking the time to do it. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about, you know, your background a little bit, Jeb, and how you came to working with veterans and helping them to share their stories in such powerful ways. Well, um, as, you, as you mentioned, I have taught for 25 years uh, here at Seattle Central. So I started in 1994, uh, peacetime, uh, more or less. Uh, of course, 9-11 happened. Uh, and the first young man who identified to me uh, as a veteran in one of my classes uh, was a young man named Elliot. And uh, in the fall of 2003, he came up to me uh, in the middle of the quarter. Uh, he said, uh, I've... I, I'm being deployed to Baghdad. Um, I need to withdraw from all my courses. Um, that is, uh, if you remember your time period, that's uh, um, shortly after the, the mission accomplished uh, banner was, was put out there uh, and uh, just really as the insurgency, as they came to call it, started and, and a lot of blood uh, began to flow. And, and Elliot came back a year later. Um, I never, uh, been able to talk with him about his experiences, uh, but he was the first of, of many, and, and I and my other colleagues here have all had uh, veterans in our classrooms. Uh, there was a period of about a decade when they were really quite raw and out of, out of fresh combat, either Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, and you really came to be able to spot them because they would be sitting in the very back of the classroom. Uh, with, their, uh, with the exits and entrances carefully observed. Uh, they generally found it difficult to relate to a lot of their fellow students who they kind of perceived as young and, and really not knowledgeable about the world. Uh, they were always on time and had their work done. Um, although college is a, is a real challenge uh, you know, for returning, returning vets. So that's, that's the genesis. As an English teacher, I would get these stories. Um, I, I finally got a story by a young man named Tony Muthing, and, and he's one of the people I did the book to. Uh, and his story uh, was about, uh, he was an army medic. Uh, he was in a convoy uh, on the way to Fallujah. They hit an IED that is followed by an ambush. Uh, the IED blast uh, presses his chair and his back is torn up. He's pulled out of this, uh, out of this uh, Humvee uh, and uh, and watches a man, tries to and fails to save a man. Uh, at the end of the story, he's searching for meaning of it all. And he really talks about his medals in a drawer and they're not any solace. Uh, this, this whole experience isn't sense to him. And I felt that story was example of the stories Americans were not reading at the time. Mm -hmm. They were either uh, reading news reports or, 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 or cinematic. And uh, that was really the spark that, that started it. Well, and that's, you know, and it's so important, it, 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 the, the images that we see, the things that we hear on the news and the radio and all those kinds of things, uh, you know, they, they distort the truth and they distort the things that are, that are really happening to the people that are on the ground. And so, you know, when we, when we glorify it in our movies and those, those things, it's, it really doesn't help our veterans because our veterans are actually seeing, wow, there's this, 
this is, there's a lot of pain that goes on here. There's a lot of carnage. And boy, I lost a guy, and I lost somebody who I loved and who had a family, and all these things. And these stories need to be heard because it's the only way that they can ever really connect, connect back to the community that they ended up serving. Now, where did the title of this book come from? I mean, it's such a great title of, for a book, uh, Jeff. Yeah. Well, well thank you. Uh, you know, I had the stories um, collected, and, and initially the vision was for 25 stories. There, there are 18, and we had 18, and I felt I, I was, quite honestly, I was, I was exhausted. This was, a, this was a very emotionally difficult process for me. Uh, you talk about weeping as you read some of the stories, and that's a very common reaction I have from other readers, uh, men and women. Uh, uh, I, I can tell you, I shed a lot of tears uh, as I was as I was putting these together. Um, and finally, we had the collection, and we needed the title. And I was sitting with my publisher, and I was telling him a story about a conversation I'd had actually with 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 a friend. And I was telling the friends some of the stories of the emotional devastation of these experiences of having gone to war. And my friend looked at me and he said, uh, yeah, but that's what they signed up for. Mm -hmm. And I and I was a little shocked in, in the kind of lack of compassion I was hearing in that, but then realizing it's, it's honestly probably a, a pretty common sentiment out there um, is if, if you if you sign your name on that enlistment form, now you're somehow responsible for the experiences you have. Mm -hmm. and, and we as a nation, <laughs> maybe that absolves us of some of our responsibility. You chose this route individually. Um, so uh, we called the title, we, we gave it that for the title, what they signed up for, uh, really to raise that, that conversation. And, and Charlie, uh, you know, you and I have both been young men at one point in our lives and realizing how little we knew about anything, uh, much less no one really can understand this experience until you until you are there. Um, so um, you, you can't really sign up knowing what you're what you're in for, I believe. No, and I, I don't think you can. And I, th I don't think uh, one of the things that I, I, we see as a young men and women as well is, uh, you know, the, the medals and the outfit and the suits and everything and, and, and the history and the people who served and the and, and the sacrifices they made and the glory that we attribute to those things. And not to diminish the things that people did, but it, they don't tell you what the emotional, the psychological impact that it's going to have on you. And it is going to have an impact, and we, and we don't recognize that. And these stories like this are stories that help people to recognize, oh, wow, that's what war is really all about. Uh, it's not just about putting up, you know, a, a flag and we conquered this land. It's a lot more involved. There's a lot more injury. There's a lot more suffering involved in this than people realize. Now, where did you serve in the military, um, Jeb? Or I, no, I did not. Okay. Um, and I, uh, I certainly get asked that question a lot, given my interest in the subject matter and. And quite honestly, it's a question that I have asked myself and really intensely uh, in recent years that I've been working with veterans uh, because I, I've looked back and I've, I've always had a real affinity for, for the military. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my father uh, 
who was a, a young teenager during World War II, uh, and he bequeathed to me all of these uh, World War II artifacts that uh, students of his father's sent, who went to Europe and went to the Pacific, uh, sent him uh, flags, uh, knives, uh, all of this World War II stuff. And that was my kind of my treasured collection mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as a young man. Uh, and um, I, there's, there's really two, two answers for why I, I believe I didn't join. One is I, I became of age in, in 1981, and that's when I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is kind of about equidistant in time between Vietnam and Gulf War I. Mm -hmm. And if we go back in time, uh, the, the military had a very different standing, social standing in 1981 uh, than it did uh, post 9-11. Uh, we're still really in the the, the, the post-Vietnam malaise uh, kind of period. Uh, there, there was not the valor and the uh, approbation attached to military service at that time. Now, really the largest answer, uh, uh, Charlie, is, is I was born into privilege. My parents had money for college and I was told that is what I was going to do. They had the means to do it, and that's that's what I did. From the stories, you can tell many of these folks simply didn't have that opportunity that I that I had. So that's a mm -hmm. that's I think the two reasons why I ended up not in the military. Well, I, but I love there the fact that you have such an affinity for the military and and caring and being concerned about you know the impact that these experiences had on them. Um, I was I was in the military. Came from a military family. And, and then you were talking about uh, uh, the, 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 the relics that you had from World War II. Uh, and, this, and one of the, my, uh, when I was a young boy, that I, relics that I had was my dad's survival knife from Vietnam. And that he had, mm -hmm. and it was given, you know, that he had given to me. And, and uh, you know, you cherish those things. And, you, and there's, there's a lot of wonderful things about the military culture, the loyalty, the selflessness, the integrity, the honor. The brotherhood, the sisterhood, those those believing and working for something larger than yourself, and it takes a special person to be able to want to, to do that. But sometimes they don't have that uh, that choice. They're coming from underprivileged areas, where this is the best option that they have, and so they sign and they're 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 they believe in their country and they believe what they're what they're doing. But I also think at the same time that there exists a, a vast abyss between what people think about it, what war is, the saber rattling, the glory and the beating of the drums and the dropping of the bombs, and the realities of the war, the carnage, the death, the immense suffering it brings to all who are touched by war. Touched by war. Do you think this, this by, through your experience, do you think that this exists, this abyss between the people in, who talk about war and the people who actually experience war. Oh, question, Charlie, and I think abyss is a is an appropriate term there. Um, I, I think that the ordinary civilian and, and and in particular American culture, right, as you use the word, we like to, to glorify, romanticize war, and and uh, and a lot of this, you know, trickles down and. and and, and our, our young men and women who are signing up, they're, they're affected by this. We talk about the Vietnam generation and a lot of those, uh, you know, in the, at least certainly in the first parts of that war, the young men who were going to that war, they'd been uh, steeped on World War II films, which mm -hmm. were uh, 
films of, of heroism and endurance and victory and a, and a, and a, and a romanticized version of the war. Uh, and, and certainly that's continuing um, uh, in this war here. You know, if you, if you talk with veterans, Charlie, and, and you start to get, uh, you know, where they're, where they're being honest with you, and they'll talk about social situations where they've been in, where they have attempted to talk honestly about some of their experiences. Mm -hmm. And then they quickly realize it's a very awkward thing. The people around them don't really want to talk about it. They don't want to hear what war is really like. Mm -hmm. uh, they want the veteran to tell the stories that they want to hear, uh, which is all those romantic stories of, of glory and, uh, and victory and such. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, since I've been studying veterans over these years, <clears throat> I've, I've become really sensitive to the conflation of war and entertainment. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for example, on the TV and the commercials for the video games where you see these young teenagers in a fast food restaurant and they're playing a, a war game on their phone. And, and, it's, and it's fun. Uh, and, I, and I can't see that stuff innocently anymore. Um, it, actually, it actually bothers me. Um, it, I think it's always been with us. Uh, I grew up as a kid, as perhaps you did too, with the little green army men, the plastic men <laughs> playing war playing war with my buddies with BB guns and running around the, the quarry and such. You know, and I'm reminded, you know, the peculiar human nature, you know, I believe it was the first battle of Bull Run during the Civil War. And the citizen, citizenry of Washington came out to watch the battle. Mm -hmm. They brought picnic baskets and blankets as if this was going to be, you know, a really great entertaining thing. Mm -hmm. And realizing this is, this is obscene is about carnage uh, and yet we forget so quickly uh, what the truth is I, I think we learn it in hard we, I think as a society we get sh we, we finally kind of get it thrust in our face and then we forget it so quickly <clears throat> from Saber in, uh, you know 2016 was the presidential election we can even it's hard to back up even that far if you remember what was going on we had candidates we're going on stage and they were calling for carpet bombing yeah. uh, in, in certain countries in the Middle East. Uh, and I, maybe it's naive of me, but I was, I was shocked that we, we have seemed to have forgotten what, what war means already. Uh, there was a period where we, we tired of the blood uh, and already we have, we have people that have wanted to, to, to dive back into that rhetoric again. Well, it's collective amnesia, <laughs> and it yes, showed up yes. uh, for generations, for millennia. We have this collective amnesia about the the sufferings, the carnage, the the, the things that occur on the battlefield, uh, the, the the berserker rage, those things that where we lose our sense of humanity, and and they as well. I mean, it becomes this, and this, and we're just perpetuating that violence over and over again. And we don't we, we, we block it out, and that's why I think your, your this book is so important. And we're going to get into a couple of the stories here just just to give people a taste. And for those of you who are are, are you know this is a, some of the stories that I'm going to share or some of the things that I'm going to read. Uh, they're not they're not for the faint of heart, but they need you need to hear this. You need to, the whole world needs to hear this. They're, this this show is being listened to by people from Iran and other places. You got to hear these things as well. You've got to hear the stories. And so often, though, when veterans are, are thrust in this combat arena, 
when they come back, they're not the same person as they were as they were before. You know, and they missed those bonds that I was talking about of loyalty and courage and integrity and camaraderie and those deep bonds of love that show up between individuals who are going through that, who are, who are out there. They're just out there to keep the other guy alive. I'm out there to keep you alive. You're out there to keep me alive. We don't care about the politics. I just want you to get home back to your family. I want her to get back home. That's what it's about. And they find it difficult to come back into the society that they served, and so they end up feeling very isolated, very disconnected, and challenged with ordinary life. You know, paying the bills, going to work, raising a family. They can't communicate emotionally because they're blocked in, because they can't, they need to share this, but they're afraid if they share this, they'll be looked at as something different. And, you know, they've been in life and death choices, and actual survival mode choices. And it's a serious crisis for so many. And um, Jeb, what do you think? Um, what do you think we could be doing better as a country, as a nation, to help our veteran brothers and sisters, sisters who are struggling with these invisible wounds of war? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a huge question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I wished I had a I wished I had a, a, a great answer. I I do want to say. Um, I think that we are doing we are doing better as a society. Um, I think there is there is much more compassion um, for uh, for the idea that war create a permanent uh, or create scars on the soul. Um, I, I think as a society we're more we're more aware of that. Uh, there are more resources uh, to attempt to help. Um, to try to prevent veteran homelessness, uh, to try to get veterans uh, work. Um, at the end of the day, right, it is, when, when we talk about, uh, you know, veterans uh, who have, have moral injury, uh, oh, and this is a, this is a very, as you well know, Charlie, uh, you know, this is a, this is a very difficult injury to, to the soul. And I, and I use that term, not in a, not in a religious sense, but to, to, to try to describe that that essential nature of our, our identity and our meaning, uh, and, and who we are, and uh, we use the term "losing humanity," which is which is fundamentally what war is, right? We we have to lose our humanity to participate in it, mm -hmm. uh, and then reclaiming that humanity can be a extremely difficult process for some. Mm -hmm. um, what can we do? Well, we talk about. Um, civilians not understanding war and which is also being civilians not connected to the veterans who are going to war in their name wearing the flag of their country on their sleeve um, people reading the book or hearing the stories better yet straight from the veterans uh is is one thing i can recommend and to uh if you if if there's listeners out there uh and they know a veteran to ask if you'd like to tell me your story, I would like to hear your story. Yeah. And simply sit there and listen to them. And it's really quite simple. You give them all of your attention and you you pass no judgment on what they're gonna tell you. And well, you just simply witness and sit with their story. That actually can be huge. And I, I can tell you that because that's what I witnessed repeatedly as I was going, was going through the process of, the, of this book mm -hmm. and really literally saw the effect that had on the, on, on people unburdening themselves to the story uh, and having somebody carry the burden of carrying the story forward. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's such a powerful, cathartic thing to be able to share your story to someone who is not going to judge you for it, is not going to criticize, who is who stands as, uh, as as a sacred witness to it. You know, in the in the book, the Odyssey, um, Odysseus, uh, when he comes back, for those of you who don't know, the Odyssey is about a, a, basically it's about a, a, a soldier who has to return from the Greek wars, Odysseus. And it takes him 10 years to come back, and he has to go through all these different challenges to get back home to his wife and his son. And it's in the telling of a story that he starts to shed tears. He hears them hearing uh, the story about the wars in Troy, and he starts to break down. And then he finally gets to share what's going on inside him that he hasn't been able to share. In such, and it's, it's purifying. It's cathartic. People don't realize how important it is, and veterans don't realize how important it is that you don't need to stay stuck with your suffering. It, it, it makes us sick. And I'm a big believer in this idea that if we, don't, if we don't share our secrets, they will make us sick. It will poison our minds, will poison our hearts, will poison because of the, the soul has been wounded. You can't, you can't medicate your way out of this. You can't, it's, in the, it's in the soul. It's in your heart. And you've got to be with people who can embrace those tragedies and those horrors and those violence um, in a way that helps you to release it. And, you know, I think that it's such a big part of being able, of the humanities, is being able to do this. Um, how did these stories, Jeb, um, of these veterans that you, uh, that you talked to, how did this change you uh, when you were putting this together? Yeah. Because it had to change um, you, right? <laughs> oh yes, 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 Charlie. Um, you know, and it's something that I that I still uh, am thinking about, and it, and and I am a different person uh, now than than before. Uh, there was some some big change. I, I've got an afterward in the book, and. Um, I went to do an interview uh, at, a, at, a, at a local college and I, I kind of drove around. I'm in Washington State here and that was really the process of getting the stories was, was going to colleges around the state. And there, at this point, uh, many, uh, if not most of them, have uh, veteran centers where the student vets can go and find some, find their, their um, you know, their fellow veterans and, and that brotherhood and sisterhood, right, that they, that they experience uh, and that can help them get through school. Uh, and I went to a local one, um, and uh, I ended up uh, spending a couple of hours with, with a veteran named Miguel. Um, and his his story is one of the first uh, first ones uh, in there. Uh, he uh, he joined the Navy to become a corpsman because he wanted to be attached to the Marines. He wanted to become a combat corpsman for the Marines, um, and and he did end up doing that. And he was in Ramadi. Uh, and his his story, I think, is I, I mark as a point where where uh, after he had after he was finished telling me his story, and I got in my car to drive home, and I reached for the radio as I always would be listening, and I did not turn it on, and I and I kept the car silent, and I Charlie literally I I drove in silence for the next year and a half, I I. I I felt that the uh, the noise of the radio was somehow uh, profaning all of the stories that I now had in my my head. Um, something changed. I felt like I they they taught me 
they taught me so many things, the veterans did. Uh, they taught me about uh, these values that you, that you mentioned, right? And the military is an institution of, of values, loyalty, uh, honesty, courage. Um, and the word love. And, uh, you know, I also write in afterward, I think many of these stories are about love mm -hmm. because they do love their brothers and sisters. And when their brothers and sisters are, are killed or grievously wounded, they have that terrible pain from losing someone that you love, as, as we all would experience. Uh, and uh, I guess finally, I'll say this, Charlie, I, I think that there is no closer way, someone who has not been in, uh, in combat, such as myself or other civilians, I think there is no closer way you can come to understanding what that is like than sitting with a veteran and hearing the story directly from the veteran. <clears throat> I don't think any number of movies you can see or books you can read can quite uh, come closer to, to achieving that experience. Uh, mm -hmm. Looking the veteran in the eye and, letting, and hearing that story uh, from the veteran. So uh, I, I think, I, quite honestly, I, I wonder if the, if the book is a little bit of, I'm trying to expiate some guilt that I've had, because as a young man, like so many young men, I, I glorified war. And, and, and we thought Apocalypse Now, the film was very cool as young men. Yeah. And we wished that we had been able to go to Vietnam mm -hmm. and do all of those cool things. And, and now I realize how profoundly ignorant and immature, and, and actually tragically, quite honestly, tragically so, uh, to, compared to what, what war really does. Mm -hmm. uh, damage, the damage to the soul and seeing these men and women years, years after their experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan, trying to contain that pain and, and continue to move forward. Uh, and I, I know you've got some excerpts. Robin Eckstein's uh, story is, is the boy on the bridge. And Robin, um, I, I spoke with her and it was it was 13 years after her experience. And she, after five hours, you know, told me about really the, 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 the most difficult part of her of her experience and she broke down uh, and wept this is 13 years later wow. uh, still how raw that pain is for her well I want to uh, now that you brought the excerpts I want to read a few passages for people so that they can get a, a, a glimpse of what we're talking about and the actual experiences personal these are actual true life experiences by veterans who serve in the Iraq and Afghanistan war and I think uh, one, I, I think I'm the first one that I'm going to read here is um, in, in a story called Firefly. We were encamped somewhere in the middle of Iraq. I had walked off into the desert to relieve myself. And I came upon her. She was a child, maybe 10 years old. She was all alone. And she was badly burned. From what I don't know. I thought at first that I could treat her and help her. She kept saying, Ma'an, the Arab word for water. Ma'an, Ma'an, Ma'an. I didn't understand. I thought she was saying, why, why? Why are you doing that, I thought. Why don't you shut up? Ma'an, Ma'an, Ma'an. Her lips were burned. I tried to perform a cut down on her, 
when you directly access a vein by cutting through the skin and isolating it and inserting a catheter into the blood vessel. Man, man. Her skin was like leather. It was so burned. I couldn't find the vein. And I was afraid. I was afraid of causing her more, more harm. I was afraid of being a fraud. Afraid I didn't know what I was doing. Man, man. I wanted her to shut up. I didn't know, I didn't want to hurt her anymore. Man, man. I gave her morphine as she looked at me, and I stayed there with her and watched her until she died. Difficult to follow that passage with, with anything that, uh, it's difficult to speak. Yeah. After listening to that passage, quite unfairly, it's difficult to speak. Now that that is, uh, is a, as you said, a story called Firefly, uh, by uh, by a veteran, and 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 his name is Emmanuel Wright. Uh, in in the uh, in the book, that's the the one story. Uh, it, it, he is that's a a name he um, not not his actual name, and, and this was a very difficult story for him to publish, mm -hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, this this was a, an extraordinary trauma. Uh, he's a remarkable remarkable man uh, uh, because he's able been able to take that intense pain and he's he's been forging wisdom from it uh, and insight from it here. Um, I what, you know when I talked about these presidential candidates calling for carpet bombing and in my in my little optimism I thought. If, if you read a passage like that, how could you ever advocate for, for this random horrifying destruction? Because we, we can watch, the, uh, we can watch the, the smart bomb cameras and all, but what it really means is individuals like that little girl and, and the, the piteousness of that inhumanity. Yes. Uh, that, and that is, that is war, the, the great, the, by far right, the greatest suffering is endured by people who have completely innocent of the causes that are going on, simply trying to live their lives. That's it. And, and, I, and I think, yeah, it's like when people, you're exactly right, people who are saying we need to, to bomb, uh, you know, them to the Stone Age. What, what, do you, what Do you really know what that means? Do you really know? And then you hear a story. This is a particular, this is an individual story of a true life story of, of what the implications are when we say things like that. You've got to know what it is that you're talking about and how it's going to impact people. And that little girl and all the little children and all the innocent people that are, they didn't deserve it. They don't deserve that. And so we have to really roll back because these, these are the consequences of those actions. And, it, and that brave soldier uh, who has to carry that burden, has to carry that within him, and all the soldiers and, and, and servicemen and airmen, and, uh, my goodness. These are the costs. These are the costs. And, it's, and we've got to be very careful about, about what we're choosing. I want to read another passage, if I may. Uh, I think uh, this is called The Heroes of the Day. And uh, there was a big, uh, 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 you know, battle that they had been engaging in. and couldn't understand who the enemy was. And... Uh, 
He says, uh, um, there's nothing wrong with crying behind a Humvee during a firefight. Truth is, no matter how much the military trains you and attempts to recalibrate, recalibrate your conscience, you ultimately can't control how you react when someone is trying to kill you. You can't control your own instinct not to kill other human beings. Some guy freezes. Some guys piss their pants. Some guys break down. Big, brave guys. I've seen it. Some guys get so overcome with grief and rage that they do horrific things, like desecrate an enemy corpse. That's a fact of war. But you have to own what you did. You have to own what you did not do. You have to face the truth, come to terms with it. And you have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive others. Telling a false story makes you a prisoner of the past. You're trapped. The guilt and confusion eat you and ultimately will kill you. Combat truths are the hardest truths to face. But you can't come home until you wrestle with your own demons. I thought that was such a profound, deep understanding of the, of the experience of, of war and combat and the realities of it, just in, encompassed in those two paragraphs, Jeb. And, and also really kind of laid out what every veteran must do in order to come back to the other side and integrate those two sides of themselves, the light and the dark that they have, uh, that they have unleashed and find a way to be able to, to bring, come back and be whole again, is that you've got to be able to face and speak the truth. Speak the truth from your heart as best you can with people who know how to listen. Yeah, uh, and, and that's Tim Lovett's story there. Um, yeah. Uh, the heroes of the day. Uh, and, and the heroes of the day, just tell your reader, your listeners, uh, and that title comes from... Um, it's, it's an ironic title that was used by media that came in uh, to, to interview them in film when they were encountering all this violence in Afghanistan. And it's, it's a little bit of a comment on America's kind of fetish. We're not really interested in the war, but when there's a lot of violence, it becomes sexy and the, the media comes in. Um, I, I was so glad, uh, Tim, as you can tell from, from those paragraphs, from that story, you know, a, 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 a remarkable uh, individual, uh, you know, of, of, of great strength and insight. And he is the first part of the story there, there you know, he goes through an extremely big uh, suicide uh, blast, a suicide bomb blast and survives it. But he, he's through, through, through very hard earned experience to come, come to business. I'm so glad to have his, those paragraphs you read in this book, because uh, as you see from the first page, th this book is really Part of the nonprofit, what they signed up for, mm -hmm. uh, and and our 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 goal is to to inspire other veterans to tell their stories as well, um, and I and I hope other vets might read Tim's story, and read those paragraphs and and wrestle with their stories as as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you spoke earlier, Charlie. You know that 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 holding the truth within us uh, literally becomes a poison within us mm -hmm. and the relief and the healing that we can experience no other way uh, than by 
than by sharing the story here. Uh, as, as difficult as that is, as, as much as that doesn't conform to a story of heroism, which, which is one of our kind of romantic ideas that really you know, rarely exists <laughs> in, in, in actual war here. Well, I also want to read one more uh, before I go into, we talk just a little bit about your humanities work here and how people can get this book. And this is from the, the, uh, the passage, Only the Dead See the End of War. My first mission in Iraq was landing a Pavlov MH-53 helicopter in someone's backyard. I almost shot a cow. It was a wild west from there. You're a 19-year-old shoved into that world, and you see a whole bunch of fucked up shit. I watched a seven-year-old Iraqi girl bleeding to death in front of me because her father had used her as a sh human shield. The flight medics worked on her next to me as we medvaced her to Baghdad. Her stomach glistened with blood from three American bullets that had hit her and were still embedded in her body. We watched the little girl fight for her life, and after the crew pulled her from the helicopter and rushed her into the surgery ward, the doctors hovered over her. We were relieved. All right, we did our job. No, we learned later, she died. She was the first of many, but that was the tipping point. My logic about war started to change. You let go of your own humanity to make sense of what's right and what's wrong. There's no turning back on that knowledge. You're never the same person. A bullet doesn't care what uniform you wear, what your ideology is, if you're a small child. Eventually, I would become jealous of that seven-year-old little girl. Her war was over. Mine had just begun. Only the dead see the end of war. So powerful. And that's uh, <laughs> just Justin Schultz's story there. Um, Justin's um, story begins, um, and really, he's, he's really very honest about really intense suicidality that he struggled with. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to say he's, uh, he's alive and well today. Uh, I see him posting Instagram photos of him snowboarding a lot. And uh, I think he's, I think it took a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work, uh, but he's um, you know, been able to move through kind of that acute uh, wish for self-destruction there. Mm -hmm. uh, the phrase, you're never the same and then actually I kind of originally titled his story that you're never the same person. And that's, that's also kind of a theme that runs through many of these stories, right? Is that uh, after this experience of war, you are a different person and you, you really, you cannot ever return to being the person you were. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of that, well, they go through a mourning process. The person I was is gone. Mm -hmm. And the only way forward is I have to, embrace my new my new self with this knowledge mm -hmm. as I think as you put it Charlie good and evil uh, not very pleasant knowledge to have but and very heavy mm -hmm. uh, but but you really have no choice uh, at that point and uh, it's it's no uh, coincidence you know there's a number of the stories that do deal you know with uh, with the moral injury of seeing civilians or children being the victims of war mm -hmm. uh, and these you know, this moral wound is so deep um, I think incomprehensible for anybody that 
you know, would not have experienced. It's just beyond our experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet people like Justin and others, right, they have to continue. He's a 19-year-old when he has that experience. Hopefully he's going to live to be at least an 80-year-old. He's got, he's, got he's got to carry that experience forward and make sense of it mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and try to leave a, a, lead a meaningful, happy life as best he can. It's uh, these stories, and these are just three little segments, three little paragraphs from this incredible book. Uh, I can't, oh, uh, emphasize the importance of this book and getting it out to people and the impact that it has. It will, if, it will, if you were moved by any of those stories, please pick it up. How can people get a copy of this book for themselves, Jeb? Where can they get it? How can they get it for a loved one, a veteran, a family of a veteran to help them understand what uh, our brave men and women go through when they're called to, to, to combat? Uh, well, Amazon is a very convenient way to do that. You can type in what they signed up for and, and get it off Amazon. I am going to appeal to your listeners and viewers to go directly to our website, whatthesignedupfor.org, which you had announced earlier. Um, and so uh, a number of the vets in the book are um, the members of this nonprofit. Uh, and so uh, individuals can purchase the book right there on the website. There is a tab for veterans, and if you're a veteran, uh, we will send you a free copy. Uh, that's, our, that's our mission, uh, to try to inspire uh, other veterans uh, through these stories to, to tell or share their own story. And we've had, we've had some veterans who have done that. Uh, it's very gratifying. Um, I'll just add, um, we, we like to send boxes of books uh, to, to certain organizations uh, who can distribute them to readers. Now, uh, Washington Department of Veterans Affairs uh, has a conference of, of veteran service providers, uh, and they have gotten hundreds of books to distribute to veteran service providers around, around the state. So these folks who are serving veterans uh, can better understand the veteran experience, understand the people that they are supposed to be serving. Um, we, uh, we like to... Uh, Organizations like Disabled American Vets, we have a local chapter here uh, in Seattle, Washington that uh, distributes books all the time for us. We, we love that on uh, educational. So all that's to say, if you, if you get the book and you would like to distribute it to other readers, uh, contact us through the website and, and let, us, uh, let us try to get these stories out to as many people as possible. Oh, I agree. Uh, it needs to go to as many people as possible. And it's www.whatthesignedupfor.org. Um, Jeb, you also do some other things, too. This isn't the only project. Could you tell a little bit? I know we've only got a few more minutes here, but I love to just uh, highlight some of the things that you're doing about. You give these talks to the um, humanities. You give for Humanities Washington. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, most states have a humanities organization. Um, this is the Speakers Bureau. <clears throat> um, my first talk that I did a couple of years ago was, was about the Clemente for veterans. Mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse, excuse me, Charlie. Uh, and that was, of course, and I, I was academic director, and it's still ongoing. Uh, I passed on that role. But uh, veterans, uh, this was a six-month course, meeting twice, and twice uh, two nights per week. Uh, veterans study philosophy, art history, U.S. history, uh, literature, and then and then writing. 
um, my fervent belief is that humanities can save lives and that veterans through the humanities um, uh, can help to rediscover their meaning, purpose, and identity. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned, um, I don't know if you mentioned Jonathan Shea, but you mentioned uh, Odysseus, and Jonathan Shea uh, does the uh, Odysseus analysis in of yeah. the ancient, Odysseus in America, the ancient Greek works. And that's one thing, for example, we study uh, along with art uh, and others. And, and uh, it's kind of amazing, I think, for a one to be in a veteran community uh, in that Clemente Veteran Initiative, uh, studying with fellow veterans and having that intense bonds with you, and then realizing that your story uh, goes back literally millennia in, in human history. And, and you are part of a legacy. It is, uh, there are easier lives that other people have led, but this is your life, mm -hmm. and you can make sense of it. And, uh, and there's a whole world to, you know, to open up, open up the possibilities for you through the, through the humanities. Um, the second talk I give is I really became interested in the social history of veterans. Um, the, the, since 9/11, we have had a very different uh, uh, culture in this country regarding military experience and uh, and veterans, and that is, it, it gets easy to think that this is the way it has always been. Um, but, uh, you know, for example, World War I veterans camped out in 1932 asking for their payments during the Depression, and uh, they were burned out of their encampment, bonus army. Uh, that's a piece of our buried, buried history. Uh, so I've come to believe history is maybe the most important of the humanities because we, as a country, as a culture, uh, either, either bury our history mm -hmm. as deeply as we can, or we mythologize it and reinvent it mm -hmm. uh, to suit certain purposes, but certainly not the purpose of truth. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so that's, those are other activities that I've been involved in, uh, in veterans and studying veterans issues. Well, that's fantastic. I, I'm uh, right in alignment with you. I think the humanities are such a key and integral part in being able to help people through arts, through literature, through history, uh, through philosophy, through writing, uh, any kind of expression of the soul helps us to connect back to our to our sense of humanity again. And if we've been, if we've lost it in because of the traumas that we have experienced, our humanities are, are are the doorway that allow us to reconnect and reassemble those broken parts, because we get to connect to people like Odysseus and others. Uh, Aeneas and, uh, and people that have gone through similar experiences. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. If he'd gone through it and he showed a way, I can get out of this too. And it's such a, yes. a valuable asset. And, and, and I just, I wish we, we probably need to have another show and just talking about the humanities. <laughs> Jeff, uh, really quick. Um, what did you love most about working with the veterans who contributed to this incredible book that you that you've assembled here and collected. Yeah. You know, uh, I think one thing, my experience with veterans is, is they, they form such authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, they're, they're very honest and there, there's such integrity there. Mm -hmm. uh, and quite honestly, you know, they have some valid criticisms of the civilian world where, where quite honestly, um, a lot of civilians are engaged in fairly shallow uh, relationships with their fellow 
men and women. So I, I'm really grateful um, for these relationships I have with, with, the, with the 18 people in this book. Uh, 17 are still alive. Uh, one, one veteran, uh, Adam, uh, isn't it, took his own life. Uh, he, had, he had been my student. Um, and, but the other 17, um, and I, I'm, I'm in fairly regular contact with, with, uh, with, with most of them still. So um, I guess I'm, I'm just grateful for really this, this lifetime of uh, uh, new friendships uh, with the people in this book. Wonderful. Uh, Jeb, I can't, I can't believe our, our hour is up here. It's a, it, wow, what an amazing uh, accomplishment. What an amazing tribute to the veteran experience that you have contributed to our culture and our society and to the voices, the voiceless that you've given a voice to. And I hope it inspires so many other veterans uh, out there, other soldiers, other airmen, other sailors, other Marines, other Coast Guard to start sharing their stories as well so that we get a full picture of what the experience is and so we can make better, wiser decisions on their leadership level. Uh, I want to, before, I always ask my uh, guest a real quick question before we close out the show, uh, Jim, and it's just the way we, we, we kind of close it off. Um, if you could give one piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be? Uh, specific to the to the veteran uh, uh, issues or uh, just anything, whatever general you know, something inspired. It doesn't necessarily have to be specific to that, but something that you've you've learned from your life, some wisdom that has really impacted and and, and something you could share with us from your experience. Well, I guess I think uh, you know, and here here with my my years uh, as a teacher, specifically in a community college, I think helps is is to realize that everyone has a story. And when you open your heart and open your, and, and open your ears, uh, you, will, you will always realize that the depth of, uh, of the person, uh, of, other, other, of other people and appreciate their lives, um, their struggles and their dreams. Mm -hmm. and, and then you can make authentic connections. And I think that's, that's true, that's true love. Mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, that's one thing trauma does. Charlie Wright is it it it, it cuts us off from that connections, and that's mm -hmm. that's why veterans need us to reach out and open our hearts and, and our ears uh, to them. Amen. Amen to that. Jeb, thank you so much for being here today. It's been such a pleasure, honor to meet you. Uh, just I can't say enough about your book. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. Appreciate it, uh, folks. Thank you, Charlie. Oh, it was an honor. <laughs> uh, folks, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, we've got another great guest coming on. Her name's Julie Tara. You're going to love her. She's awesome. Great, great human being. Um, I want to thank Henry, uh, Archuleta, and all the folks here at KUHS. Uh, without you, we couldn't be having this show. KUHS Denver, we're broadcasting here live in Denver, Colorado, all across the nation and all across the world. We're hitting over 40, 50 different countries. Thank you all for who tuned in to the council from wherever you are. Uh, it is an honor to be your host. Be back in two weeks. Thank you so much, folks. 
The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. And may you all be whole. See you in two weeks. God bless.